chapter 17 and the Gospel of Luke head that way today. Now, as we're going there, I kind of want to set it up a little bit because I think many of us probably feel the longing for the return of Christ right now more so than we, we usually do. Um, because your family life is just weird right now, you know it, you might not want to admit why and all those things, but it's weird. Um, work is strange, maybe you feel isolated and alone, or, or, or just feel the anxieties about this coming semester of education of any level, which is going to be one of the strangest semesters in the history uh, of our nation. And, and so you might be feeling that. And so when, when we feel the weight of sin in the world, when we see the way that people age and die, when we see disease and the decay of everything, it's natural that we begin, begin to wonder, when is Jesus going to come back? When is he going to return? When, when are we going to see this kingdom of God in all of its glorious fullness? And here's the thing. Deep down, what you're longing for, what you're hoping for, what you want, is a world that is free of sin, completely set free. A world that's free of pain and free of sorrow and free of death and political parties and elections and viruses and Deep down, you long for a world where, where there's no question whatsoever that God is indeed on the throne, sovereignly reigning supreme. You long for a world where, where justice just is, a world where, where we can live in, in peace and everlasting joy, and where even our worship of the Lord is pure in a way that it's not usually the case for us. We long for that. If you feel any of that right now in your life, you're, you're not the first person to, to long for the coming of the kingdom of God in all of its fullness. You're not. And we're going to see that even in this passage. Uh, of all people, right, the Pharisees are longing for that, and we'll get into what that means. But let's, let's go ahead and jump into this. Luke chapter 17, and we're going to pick up in verse 20 and go to the end of the chapter. So if you will, just follow along with your eyes as I read out loud. Uh, talking about Jesus at the start. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out to follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. <clears throat> Likewise, just as it was, it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, a fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On, the day, on that day, let the one who is on the rooftop with his goods in his house not come down and take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together, one will be taken and the other left. 
And, and, and they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Grass withers, the flower fades. Right. Father, it is so good to read your word. And we want to understand it and believe it and be changed by it and live according to it. This morning, would you please enlighten our minds, soften our hearts, focus our thoughts to be present here in this gathering as we seek to unpack these holy words of your scripture. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Jesus here at the end of uh, Luke 17 is first answering a question asked by the Pharisees, and then afterwards he's going to, uh, they're asking about where the, when the kingdom of God's going to come, and then afterwards we're going to see him speak to his disciples who never asked the question, but he's going to give them information that they need to have. So keep in mind the context here. Remember, Israel at this time is, is under Roman rule, right? They are under their, their control. They are therefore expecting the kingdom of God to be this being set free from Rome, to give their independence, to be this powerful nation. And so most of the Jews thought that this kingdom of God they were waiting for was going to look like a powerful Jewish government with a powerful uh, uh, political leader of some sort. And, and, and so they're looking for this. They're looking for signs of the stars or the weathers or political events that are going on and, and, and the hopes that they're going to be able to see, oh, it's happening. It's about to happen. We can understand this. And, and honestly, Christians still do this today. They do. I, I was part of a Bible church when the Lord called me to faith, and I'm very thankful for the way that this church and the people uh, loved me and ministered me well in this, this, this time of my life. And, and, and yet I look back to it, and there's some interesting things sometimes you see, because uh, they were absolutely obsessed with the end times, and they had these beautiful charts that were huge. Uh, their charts are always better than everyone else's charts. Uh, and it's all about relating to when the end is going to come, when Christ is going to return. And, and to this day, the only detail I actually remember from this was that Russia uh, was the bear in Daniel 7. And, and all I knew that this meant was that Jesus is coming soon. And as a teenager, that was terrifying to me because I still had this bucket list of things I wanted to do before I died for Jesus' return. Uh, anyway, well, Jesus is here telling us that there's not going to be these observable signs, right, that, that you can point to. Yes, there's going to be things that we can expect that you'll see in the world in some regard, right? Like the list in 2 Timothy 3, uh, where we see things like even lovers of self and money and arrogant and what disobedient to parents and a whole bunch of other things. <clears throat> but Jesus' point here is that there's not going to be these, these cosmic observable signs. No one's going to be able to read it that way. You, you cannot predict the return of Jesus and any attempt that anyone has to do so uh, is going to be less accurate than any Kansas weatherman has ever been and that's saying something and so Jesus's <clears throat> last words then to the Pharisees <clears throat> are in verse 22 right and they're interesting look what he says he says behold the kingdom of God is in the midst of you now what Jesus says here goes over the Pharisees heads for sure but you probably understand it right you, you understand it Jesus is the king, and he's standing right there in front of them. That, that's why he decides, begins with behold, right? You kind of read over that, but behold, it's kind of like ta-da, or there's something to see here, there's something been done here, as though he just made his assistant appear out of, out of, out of light. Like, look, the king's right before you, behold. And, and, and so they're asking this question. Is, it's really a bit like, like someone, uh, like knocking on someone's door and, and asking them for directions to the house that you're already at. 
right? I, I, I show up and I knock on Emily's house and I'm, can you tell me how to get to Emily's house? You can, behold, you're, you're here, right? Or, or it's a little like walking into a party that's been going on for 33 years now and asking the question, so when's this party going to begin? When's this kicking off? Now, you might be wondering that at this point, what do we mean when we say the kingdom of God? Well, you need to understand the kingdom of God, this is not just with Jesus, is not the first one to mention this. This is a theme, a motif that goes throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And in the kingdom of God, at the most basic level, is God's sovereign rule and reign over his people. Or, or as Graham Goldworthy puts it, he says, that the, kingdom of, uh, the kingdom is God's people in God's place under God's rule. The, the kingdom of God is, it is also often spoken of, and you've heard this before, as being already and, and not yet. I have to do it the other way, because we are saying, right, already and not yet. Uh, <clears throat> meaning it's already inaugurated, it's already begun, Jesus is already on the throne, he's already ruling, but it, but it hasn't come in all of its fullness yet. You haven't experienced all that's going to happen, not yet. That is going to happen when the Messiah, when the King, when the Lord Jesus returns in all of his glory, and every knee bows, every tongue confess that he is indeed the Lord. We'll see that, right? It's something future we're looking forward. And so then Jesus just leaves the Pharisees to ponder that behold statement. Y'all think about that, uh, and I'm going to turn my attention now over to my disciples, and that's what he begins to address starting in verse 22 here. Uh, and, and so when Jesus uses that phrase then, in verse 22, look at it, he says, One of the days of the sons of man, what he's talking about here is just the last day. He's talking about his own second coming, when, when he's going to return and he's going to judge the world. And, and Jesus is telling his disciples, right now you don't desire this. You have no desire this at, at all. Uh, because, well, because I'm with you. I'm standing right here before you. So you can't even imagine what it's going to be like for me not to be standing right here in front of you. Uh, you can't even imagine the things that are really going to happen in Jerusalem, despite it having told them many times. But, but one day, when I'm gone, you are going to desire the kingdom of God in a way that you just can't imagine. Like many of us do right now. And, and so he warns his disciples, right? He, he warns those there that are with him then. He warns every disciple after him. He's warning the disciples that are in this, this, this uh, building right now. Do not follow people. This is the warning. Do not follow people who claim they know when the end is going to come, right? And it seems like that's an easy application. This sermon can be over. Why? Not going to do that. Only the reality of the Christian church is that many people throughout history have done that, and many people have followed after them. Uh, and as crazy as that sounds, it's absolutely true. Uh, one of the more recent, well-known examples, you've probably even heard of it, is about a guy named Harold Camping. Harold Camping was a professed Christian, he's a radio broadcaster. Uh, he sat down and using the Jewish feast day, the lunar month calendar, the Gregorian calendar, I don't know why he came up with those, I didn't take that deep. Uh, but using those three things as a recipe, he came up with a date that the world was going to end on May 21st, 2011. The day after my 33rd birthday, I appreciated that. Um, spoiler alert, he was wrong. It didn't happen. Jesus didn't return, the world didn't end. You can imagine how embarrassing something like that is when you're standing there waiting for the world to end and it hadn't happened. Well, when they interviewed camp, camp, Camping's followers, uh, afterwards, unsurprisingly, they were disillusioned, right? They were disappointed that things didn't turn out like they, they thought they would. Here's the thing, though. Had they simply listened to Jesus' warning in this passage, they never would have followed Harold Camping. They never would have had to go through those struggles. 
And, and a big part of Jesus' argument here is, is that when, when he returns, it's not going to go unnoticed. No one's going to need directions like, if you follow me back here, you know, it's going to be so clear and, and, and obvious that no one's going to be surprised by it. I, I grew up in a house with three brothers, uh, rambunctious, there weren't a lot of rules, we broke a lot of things, uh, it was pretty glorious as a child. Uh, and anyway, that's always made me kind of relate to the TV show Mountain in the Middle. I don't know if you've ever seen it, it's a TV show, four brothers that are growing up in this household and all the crazy things they do. In, in one episode, the three older boys are out in the middle of nowhere in this dude ranch, and the older brother's trying to learn how to be mature and responsible, and, uh, and, and they bring out all, the younger brothers bring out all these fireworks, and they talk them into actually lighting them up, even though they're not supposed to. And so all these fireworks are going off, and they're, they're waiting for this one firework called the Kimono 3000, which is something huge, and they don't know what it's going to be, and they're just excited for that. And, and as they're watching it in the sky, one of the brothers asks, how do we know when it's the Kimono 3000? And suddenly there's this huge flash, uh, it's like a four second flash of, of bright light that goes off and they actually film the scene during the middle of the day to kind of make that contrast hugely. Uh, and, and right afterwards, one of, the other, one of the other brothers says, let's hope that's it, that's it. Uh, and, and then the oldest brother asked, did, did the box say when our vision would come back? It, it's such this massive explosion of stuff that, that they're wondering what it's going to be and there's no question when it went off, you see. And, the kingdom of God comes bit by bit until finally just boom. That Jesus is seen in all his glory and in a single moment, like lightning flashing down is what Jesus is comparing it to. Uh, something to understand. And see, when Jesus returns, no one is going to need it pointed out to them. No one at all is going to point it out because it is, it'll be instantaneously, unmistakable, clear to both the church and the entire world that this is the Lord Jesus and he's back. His majesty will be fully seen in the truest sense of the word. It, it will be awesome. Awesome. And, and maybe, maybe Jesus saw the eyes of his, his disciples light up. This is conjecture, right? Not exactly in the text. But, but something prompts Jesus to, to kind of damper it, like, not yet, guys. Um, because in verse 25, he's reminding them, hey, that the path to that glorious moment must first go through Golgotha, it goes through the cross and the nails and the tomb and the resurrection. And, and, and look at verse 25. Jesus is speaking of himself in the third person. He says, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. This is now the third time in Luke that we've seen Jesus telling them what, what's going to happen, right? Remember back in Luke 9.22, I'm going to die and rise again. That's pretty straightforward. And Luke 9.44 reminds them I'm going to be put to death. They still can't imagine how Jesus could be put to death by anyone. Um, and now he's revealing to them that before this glorious return must come humility and suffering and rejection and, and death. That's what must come first. And, and by telling us he, he must be rejected, Jesus must be rejected, we, we learn that the cross is necessary, right? Not some side effect that, that couldn't be figured out. It was necessary in, in God's sovereign purposes for the work of Jesus and for the salvation of his people that, that, that he go through this. Your citizenship in the kingdom of God is, is purchased by Jesus with his blood, with his body, his, his very life upon the cross. And that's the reason why we, we enter the kingdom by one way and one way only. We enter the kingdom by, by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ with faith. 
So then Jesus uses illustrator, rather, Jesus illustrates God's future and final judgment, right? This once for all final judgment with, with two past judgments in the history of the world on a smaller scale. Uh, the first one's an illustration with Noah. You see it there in verse 26 and 27. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until that day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. The second illustrations with Lot and Sodom, verses 28 through 30. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, the fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all, so it will be on the day on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. There are four things that I want us to learn from these illustrations. First one is this. People will mock you for expecting Jesus to return and judge the world. They will. <laughs> think about it. Uh, think about how foolish, going back to Noah, even how foolish and ignorant the man must have looked, building a giant boat out in the middle of nowhere because God's going to bring judgment, right? Uh, and it just looked nuts. You can almost hear his, his mockers, right? Homeboy Noah actually believes the flood's coming. If anyone's ever been talked about behind his back, it's, it's got to be Noah at this moment. So Christian, be prepared to be mocked because you believe Jesus will return and that judgment is coming. They expect to be told that that's just a scare tactic uh, that the church invented. That's just a way to control people. You see, when the Apostle Peter is, is writing his, his second letter to the word of the Holy Spirit, and he's writing for Christians and in every generation, and he says in 2 Peter 3, verses 2 through 4, he says this, uh, know this first of all, that scoffers, right, that's like mockers, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of this coming? Right? This Messiah of yours, this Savior is coming. Where, where is he? You really believe this? People will mock you, and that's okay. It is. As Flannery O'Connor so poignantly put it, uh, Christian, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you awe. I love that. The second thing Jesus is teaching here is that no one ever expects... God's judgment. As Noah built the ark and as Lot's family fled from, from Sodom, uh, people were just going about their lives as normal. That's the major point of Jesus here, right? They're just carrying on as normal. We're often surprised by disasters. You know, no one prepared for their death on the morning of September 11, 2001. No, no one in Beirut recently expected the explosion that happened. It was probably a normal day as far as they were concerned, right? Some dropped their children off at school. Some of them were worried about the economy and the effects of the, uh, the, the virus, right? And, and, and then suddenly, boom, and there's this explosion. And his whole point here is, is if that's how the return of Jesus will be, it is not some slow thing you can see coming, like a, like a, a very slow flood happening, right? We have time to respond to. It's just going to happen. And this is weird, terrifying in some I mean, think about it. You, you could be out walking with your dog or watching football on TV or sitting in Philosophy 101 or, or trying to convince your friend to get a ghost pepper just to see what happens. Making mac and cheese, whatever. You know, just normal, everyday stuff. And then just, Jesus is back. Boom. You know, Kimono 3000 style. 
And, and when Jesus does return, and no one will have to be, will have woken up that day saying, you know what, this is the day. This is the day Jesus is coming. I'm sure no one's going to do that. Not a single person outside of the Trinity. Which leads us to the third thing I want you to learn today. It's actually a question, and it's this question. Are, are you right now ready for the return of Jesus as a final judgment? And maybe you're thinking, why is it? Is it coming? Do you think I can tell you that? Have you not heard anything right? One of my, my deepest theological answers on when I think this is going to happen? Um, today, maybe. It could happen. Truly, it could. Like, it really could before we're done here. It could happen by your evening. Pizza later. It, it could happen anytime. You, you don't know, I don't know, but seriously, anytime, maybe. And, and so then, how, how do we get ready? Have you ever seen that t shirt, that bumper sticker that says, Jesus is coming, look busy? Anyone ever seen that? Like, what in the world? What does that even mean? I don't like that bumper sticker. Um, it's mocking, is what it is. It, it, it comes with an idea that God's this like boss that wants us to be working really hard, and so you know, pretend you're working like you might for a boss uh, when he shows up. Make sure he thinks you're busy. And, you know, it's this idea that you know Jesus is grumpy boss, be busy. But you know, being ready for the final judgment is more like saying, you know what, a tornado's coming, see, find shelter. And being united to Jesus by faith is the only self-safe shelter when when the kingdom comes. Now, on a side note, being ready doesn't mean that we don't enjoy the good gifts of God in this life. I think sometimes we hear that, and our thought is like, I'm, I can't, like, I'm never going to watch a sporting event, a TV show, ever. I'm just going to think about Jesus every moment of every single second and do nothing else. Uh, it, it's okay to read a book and enjoy it. It's okay to watch a sporting friend. It, it's okay to laugh your head off if you manage to convince your friend to eat the ghost pepper. Uh, the, the world we live in is to be enjoyed, but, but, but don't put off being made right with God. That's what Jesus is getting at in this. To, to be right with God through the gospel of Christ. And, and the last thing we learn from these, these, these four Noah and Lot illustrations is this, that God will deliver his people. He will. He delivered Noah just like he promised. He delivered Lot just like you promised. God will deliver you as well if your faith is in Jesus Christ. Let's look at our last little section today. Verse 31, we are told that on the last day, we're told on the last day, don't turn back to get your belongings. Seems pretty simple. Uh, the reason being, well, as, as Philip Reichen puts it, uh, because the only thing that can be saved on the day of judgment is someone's soul. Right? Don't go back for your stuff. You don't need that. Um, and so if you have your Bible open in verse 32, a very small verse, very significant one, it's just three words, right? Remember Lot's wife. What a weird thing to have someone remember. Remember the story, right? God's judgment is raining down on the city of God, uh, God Sodom. Uh, and, and yet in God's mercy, he has sent his angel ahead of time to talk to Lot and his wife, whose name we don't know, that's why we call her his wife. Uh, out of the city before this judgment come. And the angel gives these really specific instructions. In Genesis 19:17. the angel says, do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. And, and yet, while, while fleeing, Lot's wife deliberately disobeys the angel's instructions. She looks back at the city and was instantly killed, turned into a, a pillar of salt. 
And it sounds arbitrary and cruel, like that's not so bad, really, is it? I mean, death just from looking behind you? That, that misses the point here. She, she wasn't killed simply because she looked behind herself, but, but because of the disobedience here, and, and because the disobedience showed what she really loved, that's what's being revealed here. When, when she looks back to the city, she's, she's looking at what she's losing. She's looking at the worldly things she's losing, right? Her, 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 her extended family, she's looking at the house she's been in. She's looking at uh, all these wonderful pleasures she's enjoyed in this place, and and her heart is still fixed on Sodom in this moment and not fixed on the Lord who's rescued her. And Jesus says to remember her, remember this sad story of a, a woman who, who looks back. Because as, as Charles Spurgeon once said, you know, Lot's wife, she was almost saved, but not quite. She began walking out. She's on her way there, but her heart just stayed attached back to the city. And, I mean, you, you get the point of remembering Lot's wife, then it's a warning to, to us to, to not have idolatry-like sinful attachments to worldly things. Don't, don't turn back from following Jesus on the last day. Don't, don't even think about the things you're losing. Focus on all that you have, all that you're gaining in, in Christ and the kingdom. And, and so, Christian, are, are you ready to leave all things behind when, when, when Jesus comes? Right, I talked about that, that bucket list I had. Forget that. We, we want the return of Jesus, no matter what we haven't got to experience in life, no matter what we want to continue to experience in life. So with that in mind, can you see the way that verses 32 connects, verse 32 connects with verse 33, which says this, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Lot's wife longed to preserve the life she had, and that life was lost. While Lot himself lost his previous life, leaving the city and everything he knew, never looking back, he continues on, and he's rescued by the Lord to continue. And the immediate application for us is to live each day for Christ and his kingdom. Yes, enjoy the world. Do enjoy, uh, you know, be grateful to the Lord for the godly pleasures that it has to offer, but do not love the world of the deepest sense of that word. Love only God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then verses 34 and 35, these are widely misunderstood verses, two examples of how the final judgment is going to kind of be experienced, our final uh, day, the final moment, right? Husband and wife will be laying in bed, and one's taken and one's left. Uh, two women are out in the, uh, in the field grinding grain, and one's taken and one's left. Let me ask you this, how do you read this? But what I mean by that is, who's left and, and who goes, the believer or the unbeliever? If you think the one who's being taken is the believer, I'm willing to bet you're really familiar with the book and the movie series called Left Behind. Uh, it's been widely, maybe you've heard of it, right? It's in Cage, what's his name, Nicholas Cage in one of those movies, anyway. The book, the whole series teaches this, that, that God takes away and raptures Christians and he leaves non-Christians behind. Uh, the problem with that is that's not the way that we see the scriptures speak. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about kind of uh, the judgment of God happening, right? Between then, then the elect who are still alive and, and the elect who are dead in their graves, who are going to be risen back to life, are going to be gathered all together uh, in, the, in the presence of the Lord. We, we see it there. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says, uh, And those who are alive, who are left, right? Meaning those who are alive, but the rest of them have been taken. 
But those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Uh, all that to say, a better understanding even of this, this story that Jesus is giving here is that the, the one who is taken it is the sinner who goes to be judged by God, but the one who is left behind uh, it is also a sinner, but who has already, already been found righteous because of Christ on his behalf. In other words, if, if the, it's the Christian who's left behind. Uh, and, I, and I say that just so you have a better understanding how to read that, but that's not even Jesus' point here. Uh, Jesus' point is that God is going to divide all of humanity between the redeemed in Christ and, and those that in the biblical sense of the word are, are damned and still in their sin. And this division will split even between the most, the closest of relationships ever, right? And as again, Ryan puts it this way, he says, people who share almost the exact same situation in life will find themselves on the opposite sides of eternity. It doesn't matter if you work together or slept together or siblings, all will be dealt with according to their sin, either rendered uh, eternally guilty or nailed to the cross with Jesus. And so consider what will happen on the day of judgment to your spouse, your co-workers, to your classmates, to your neighbor, and, and let that guide your prayer for them. Let that guide your conversation with them. Let that guide the way you care for them and, and in view that the day is coming when, when as much as you're rejoicing at, at being rescued from the judgment you deserve, many of those you love are, are still going to find that judgment, and it's going to come just like that unexpectedly. Okay. One more verse. It's one of those weird verses, right? This should be a Jeopardy catalog, a category this time, like, at this point. Right? Like, uh, I'll take weird things Jesus said for 400, please, if this would be one of the questions in here. Uh, his disciples are asking him, where, Lord? Where's, where's all this going to happen? It's a strange question when you think about everything Jesus said thus far. Uh, anyway, Jesus' response is, where the corpse is, there the vultures look at more questions? He's got it. Uh, honestly, no one seems real clear or certain about what Jesus means by this. And so I, I'll tell you what, this comes with a little thought, right? Uh, not an absolute clarity, but it was a common phrase at the time. It just meant this, that, when, you know, where there are vultures, you'll find dead bodies. Pretty straightforward. Kind of like we have here, those turkey vultures, and you see them going around, you're like, oh, something's dead around here. I hope he's not waiting for me to die, right? So um, that's kind of, you just know there's something dead on the ground. That's what it is. And so here's the best explanation I was able to learn, is that since vultures only feed on the dead, by the time vultures have actually gathered around, not circling, but gathered around, uh, it's too late. There's nothing anyone can do for those those dead bodies at that point. It's over with. And, and as he wants us all, you know, all to hear it and to consider if we're dead in our sins or if we're alive in Christ, but before their, visit, their physical death and the final judgment, right? Where are you? Are you alive in Christ? Are you dead in your sins? That, that's the question. Okay, so if you are an unbeliever today, one, I'm glad you're here. This is where you need to be. This is where you're going to learn stuff. This is where you're going to meet people that can tell you their own doubts and struggles and, and ask questions and stuff. I'm glad you're here, but I also want you to know that Jesus knows you, and, and the reality is because of your sin, he, he will take you away in judgment unless your faith is in him to be rescued. And that might sound harsh, but I promise you that's, 
That's one of the kindest things you can know, is to know that reality now by the rest of your life. Furthermore, if you are a, are a believer, I want you to be confident that Jesus knows you and has rescued you from divine judgment. That as uncertain as it's going to be, you, you can find rest because if it just happens right now, you don't have to figure things out. The Lord's already rescued you when he, when he gives you faith in Christ. Uh, finally, I just I want to end with some of the very last words of all the scriptures. Uh, Jesus is speaking, Revelation 22-20, and he says this. He says, surely I am coming soon. Coming soon. Let's pray. God, you are holy, and thus, in a sense, a terrifying being, and, and yet... It is to you, through, through faith in, in Jesus, that we must turn, and if we are to find shelter from the inevitable storm of divine judgment. And so, Holy Spirit, I am asking for you to grant faith to repent, and faith to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, every soul present with us this morning. And Jesus, give the comfort of assurance to all who know you as Lord and Savior, that we can find true rest in that, no matter what's going on in the world. Finally, Lord, we, we ask this. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.